I'm psychologist Professor Richard Wiseman. And I'm science journalist Marnie Chesterton. A welcome to Richard Wiseman's On Your Mind. We're on a mission, a mission to answer a thousand questions about the human mind. Can I ask a couple? Go for it. You mentioned the mind. A thousand questions about what exactly? Well, how we think, how we feel, how we behave. We're going to be talking about the psychology behind happiness, memory, dreams, even magic. And why am I here? Because we need someone to keep us on track. And also, if I just sit here and talk to myself, it's like a normal Saturday night. And no one needs that level of tragedy in a podcast. But I'm delighted to be here with you. You are the UK's only professor of the public understanding of psychology. You've surveyed 350,000 people to find the world's funniest joke, spent 10 years studying luck, and tracked 26,000 people to see what makes them happy. You're too kind. And a thousand questions means a thousand answers. Questions from the public, from you, from me, sometimes big questions. Like what's the relationship between the mind and the brain? Sometimes little questions like what is your favourite cheese? Brie. Wrong. That's one down, but we've got loads more to do. So let's crack on. In this episode, we're going to be looking at the science of ghosts, chatting about my investigations into some of the UK's most haunted places, including the Edinburgh Vaults and Hampton Court Palace. We'll be asking, are ghost sightings real? And finding out what actually happens in haunted houses. I'm going nothing apart from in people's heads. Such a sceptic. On with the show. Have you ever seen a ghost? Well, funny you should ask. Because yes and no. Yes, in the sense that I have. And no, in the sense that I haven't. So I... <laughs> Thanks, that's really cleared it up. And we're going home now. So I used to suffer from night terrors on, on a weekly basis. And I don't know if you... Have you ever had a night terror? No. I, yeah, I don't even know what that oh, is. Oh, they're, they're quite something. So there you are, asleep, and at night, and you sit upright in bed, and your eyes are open, and you're convinced there's normally some kind of evil entity in the room. And for me, it was this kind of hooded figure at the end of the bed. And you are totally convinced that, that this figure is there to, um, not for good, not a force of good. And so often you'll scream out. And if you're sleeping next to somebody, uh, then it wakes them up genuinely. And you are in deep sleep, actually. It's not a bad dream. You're in deep sleep. So you go straight back to sleep. And of course, by now, their adrenaline is running and, and they're panicking and it ruins their night as well as yours. So I saw a hooded figure at the end of my bed many, many times. And, and if, um, if I was a believer in ghosts, which I'm not, but if I was a believer in ghosts, it would be very easy to become convinced that was a genuine ghost. Thus my yes and no answer. Ah, Richard, I'm really glad you brought that up because our listener question is about that, night terrors, but also other sleep disorders. Let's hear from Gwen. When my friend was younger, she used to swear that she would semi-regularly wake up terrified at night to see a sort of ghostly vision in her room. It was only when she was an adult she realised that what was actually happening was she was having something called a night terror, which is a type of sleep disorder. Do you think that a lot of nighttime paranormal experiences can actually be explained as sleep disorders? That is a very good question. And, and to some extent, I've already spoken about it with night terrors. And if people do have them, I mean, they're partly they're anxiety related. So if you can reduce your anxiety, it helps. But also sleeping in a cold room. So you don't want your room to be too warm. And so now I sleep in pretty much an icebox. Uh, so I always sleep with the window open to get a temperature as, as low as possible. And they've gone away. That hooded figure is no longer there. Oh, I sort of miss him. 
Oh, yeah. so so you know if you turn the radiator up, more night terrors. More night terrors. The hooded figure comes back. Absolutely, and nobody wants that. Uh, but it's a very good question because it's about sleep disturbances in general. And so the other one, which people get um, uh, quite not confused about, but often they think is due to a ghost, is a so-called sleep paralysis. Very common, about, uh, I don't know, 25% of the population have it. So when you dream, you're paralysed, so you don't act out the dream and hurt yourself. And with sleep paralysis, you kind of drift into a weird state of consciousness where you're sort of conscious, but the paralysis has come through. So you can't move. So your brain kind of makes up a story about why you can't move. And the easiest story is something or somebody is holding you. And then you become convinced if you believe in ghosts that there might be a ghost. You might think it's an alien. You might think it's a mythical figure. Whatever. Are you whatever awake it is. at this point? You're neither dreaming nor fully conscious. So it's an odd state of consciousness. But the important thing is, yes, you can see your surroundings, but you are being held down in, in your head um, by something. And so sleep paralysis, very, very common, happens all over the world. And again, is another psychological explanation for why people might experience uh, a ghost at night. So throughout this series, we have questions from listeners and some of those listeners are more famous than others. So uh, let's have a question about a ghost sighting with a voice you might recognise. Hi, Richard. Tim Burgess here from The Charlatans. I wanted to ask a question about an event that happened to my mum and dad that made the local news or a local newspaper. They were both driving home. It was late at night in Northwich, Cheshire, and they saw the Headless Horseman. They both saw it. And, um, you know, it was reported in the newspaper. It was kind of a big event. Actually uh, wrote a song called Different Days and used the line in the song. Um, so I'm just wondering basically what you think it would have been. Was it a ghost? Was it a phenomenon? Any of these, you know, explanations would be wonderful, not just for me, but, you know, I think for the, the whole of Northwich Cheshire. Not just for Tim Burgess off of the charlatans, but all of Northwich need an answer here. It's a great experience and it's an unusual one because normally when people report ghosts, they're actually not seeing something like that. Uh, they're just sensing a presence or an unusual smell or, or, or sound. So it's a very unusual experience. We don't actually know what they experienced. There's no way of going back in time and checking whether there was a headless horseman there or not. Let's be open-minded. Might have been what they, they've seen. Alternatively... Which they both saw. They both saw it, so that's unusual that's in the experience. Weird. So often it's just one person who's going, seen something. Oh, look, a headless horseman, and the other person going... Nee. That's right, no. I think so. Uh, so uh, that's interesting. It happened at night, so presumably it's, in terms of viewing conditions, you've got headlights... It could have been a reflection off of something, a sign, an animal, animal, who knows. And then you've got some kind of expectation. That story builds over time, as all these great stories do, that uh, if you tell somebody you saw something, they'll say, oh, well, have you heard about the Headless Horseman? And then that gets incorporated into the the, uh, the account, which is wonderful. I love it when that happens as a, a sort of social psychologist. You know, why are we telling these stories? We're to impress and entertain others. And, and so like every story, they, they grow uh, in magnitude. So and, and then Tim uses it in... In one of his songs. It's amazing. So it, it's preserved in culture forever now. Very rare. Very rare. I, I can't think of another instance. I've been mean, interviewing people for years about this stuff. And normally it's, oh, I sense the presence. There's somebody looking at me. Creaky stairs, all of that. Do you get really common ones that 
I mean, aside from the creaks and the vague sense of something, is there like a physical manifestation that is a white thing that looks a bit like a sheet with eye holes in? Well, no, you don't get that. You normally get people saying they saw a real person until they did something impossible. I think the weakest one are the orbs. Lots of people take photographs and they get orbs, uh, which are little sort of dots, uh, floaty dots. And that's just due to the flash reflecting off of dust in the environment. So that's always the really disappointing one when you have to tell people they haven't photographed a ghost, they've just photographed some dust quite close to the lens. Uh, yeah, so I get these on my camera all the time because I've cracked the camera screen and Perfect. so, yeah, they get caught in there all the time. There, I saw this amazing one on Twitter, which was um, there's a reflection of himself off a wall of fog and so, and it's a video, so he's moving, but this creepy darkness, which is mm. his shadow, is also moving and he can see it at a distance. And it's genuinely quite eerie to watch and, until you know the physics. Um, so you can understand why people would associate sort of scary figures with fogs and moors. Oh, absolutely. We were very good at seeing faces in ambiguous uh, things. I mean, we're, we're social animals. We like to see faces. So some smoke or something like that. We'll see a, a demonic face in it. But, you know, I, I think it's it, it, it's very human. Uh, what The thing to do with all those sorts of photographs is always show it to somebody who doesn't know the context of it being a ghost photograph. So we used to get them sent to the lab all the time. And some of them would be like plastic bags blowing in the wind. And oh, I guess a ghost. You know, no, no, it's not. Another one was somebody who's a bit like me, short-sighted. They'd taken off their glasses to take the picture. The arm of the glasses had got in front of the flash. And there was this weird kind of flash and, and, and trail of light across the photograph. It looked all of the world like ghostly energy until you went, hold on a minute, that's the arm of some glasses, isn't it? <laughs> so it's, it's always the context. They're, they're great illusions, those things. we decided to do was to go to places that were allegedly haunted and try and find out if there was something in the environment that meant over time people that didn't know the reputation of that place were reporting a ghostly experience. The problem is we needed to find somewhere that was haunted and nothing came up for quite a long time. And then one day I got a phone call from Hampton Court Palace and they said, we've got the haunted gallery here. The haunted, as opposed to the, the other galleries. There's a lot of non-haunted galleries, yeah. but they're not called the non-haunted galleries, but the haunted gallery, where you've got Henry VIII many years ago, Catherine Howard, uh, married at the time. He decides something bad should happen to Catherine Howard. Uh, she's very upset about this. And so she goes, and this is the story, I don't know the truth, I wasn't there. Uh, she goes to uh, plead for her um, safety. He says no, and she's dragged, kicking and screaming, down what is now the haunted gallery. And since then, people have reported very strange things uh, in this, this gallery. I've got just the shivers. Really? And I know that that's, you know, I don't believe in ghosts, but I've just gone all shivery. Well, there we go. That's the, the power of this story. <laughs> My compelling storytelling yeah, really... abilities. It's like I'm there. Oh, it's like you're there. I took, took you back in time. So they said, can you come and investigate? And we're the first people to go and investigate a ghost in a royal palace. And we're there for 10 days. And Ow. you didn't see No, go no, on. No, we didn't see a ghost. We didn't. Uh, what we did was take groups of people around. Uh, we gave them floor plans and they had to place an X where they experienced anything strange. And? They placed all their little Xs. Yeah. We looked at those areas. Yeah. We looked back at all the historic accounts of ghostly happenings in Hampton Court Palace and where they had placed their X and where all those historic happenings had happened. 
exactly the same areas. <gasps> You've got your lying eyes on. It's true. No, really? Yeah, that's no, true. Well, not exactly the same, but, but statistically, far more likely to experience something weird in a place where historically weird things have been experienced, even though you don't know the reputation of the haunted gallery. Well, so they didn't know that... People we, had said, "Oh, this is the woman. No. This is the this is the spot." No. What what is it about the spot then? Uh, well, so that that was the question, and and so actually, in terms of the spot, it, it, we didn't even know because no one had gone through all the historic records and actually worked out where those things had happened within the haunted gallery. So we didn't know either. It was called a double blind experiment. The participants didn't know. We didn't know. Um, what's what's happening in some of those places is drafts because there's lots of hidden doors. In the, uh, in the haunted gallery. And so there's lots of very strange drafts. In other ones, we don't know. There, there is something a bit weird about some of those spots. My guess is they're a little bit darker. They're a little bit creepier. They're the sorts of places we associate with ghosts. I have a what's called the Scooby-Doo hypothesis, which is that we've created ghosts to keep us away from dangerous places. Oh, what's that? so dark, damp, cold. That's right. From an evolutionary perspective, places where you get hurt, and so you think, well, that's the sort of place a ghost is, I'll keep away from there, and that would then be passed on and, and so on. Uh, so we, we did that, and we're very interested in these environmental factors, and, and partly is darkness, and that they fit our stereotype of where ghosts uh, exist. But then a colleague of mine, Vic Tandy, unfortunately no longer with us, he came up with the idea of infrasound, which is very low uh, sound waves, low-frequency sound waves, that vibrate the body without us realising. And he thought that maybe some of these haunted locations have got infrasound in. What, what makes what makes that? Uh, dodgy air conditioning systems. Oh, right, OK. Rumble of traffic. OK. Uh, the wind, uh, sometimes across a chimney and, and so on. And that this was meaning that people were having strange experiences in these places. But the other thing the infrasound does is it makes candles flicker. So he's thought maybe all these historic accounts of flickering candles and ghosts, there's something to it. So he went to a few haunted places, looked for infrasound and found it. So there's some evidence that it's these environmental factors that are driving these rather weird experiences. That is really cool. So it's not just total nonsense? No, I don't think it's nonsense okay. at all. I think there's lots of things in psychology we throw out, uh, throw babies out with bathwater. And I, I, I think there's, there's something really interesting psychologically about ghosts. This is Richard Wiseman's On Your Mind, the podcast where we attempt to get through a thousand questions. And today we're talking about ghosts. Have you ever seen a ghost? No, I haven't. And I kind of... So many people claim to, if you have this conversation at a party and there's always someone that's, oh, my mum, or, oh, yeah, I did, and I felt this. And I genuinely don't know how to have that conversation where I'm like, ah, well, that's nonsense, and you're a very suggestible individual, so well done. <laughs> that, that is very judgmental. I mean, it's very judgmental. Uh, I, I think what you have to know with those stories is they have changed over time in order that there's nothing you can say they're bulletproof. There's nothing you can say that make the person go, oh, my goodness, looking back, I realised it was a reflection. So I think you just have to sit and go, oh, that's an interesting story and, and so on. When you talk to people about ghosts, though, normally it's it's not, people aren't seeing things. The headless horseman's quite an unusual experience. Normally they're sensing something. That, oh, I just felt like somebody's watching me or someone's standing behind me or I heard something. Actually seeing a ghost is unusual. And when people do see a ghost, it's not this kind of white shadowy figure. It's 
looks like a normal person, looks like a regular person. And it's only when that person does something unusual, like walk through a wall, uh, as you go, oh, hold on a second, that's a ghost. So again, what's in the films doesn't really match people's experiences. You mentioned walking through walls. Yes. And um, we've got another question from uh, Priscilla. Slightly more continental ghost sighting. I've got some extended family uh, living in France. They have like a big old house that's been in a family for several generations. This type of house with big rooms, long corridors, big walls. And my family there make some wine. So sometimes they have clients uh, coming over and staying maybe overnight. And it's been reported by two clients who didn't know each other, didn't stay at the same time, that once they, they were in a house and then they saw someone disappearing into a wall. If you can explain why this um, happened to different people, that'd be great. Yeah. That's a good question. Good explain question. Explain that. Well, I think there's a few factors there. One is there's a great deal of wine, wine involved. yes. And second, exactly like we're saying, an old house, thick walls, a lot of history. And so you've got set up the idea in people's minds, this is the sort of place you'd see a, a ghost. And then those beliefs drive all sorts of strange experiences. And when we become hypervigilant, i.e. scared, a bit like you in the car, you start to listen for noises that otherwise you wouldn't really pay much attention to, particularly your own heart rate and, and so on. And then you become even more afraid and, and so even more vigilant and it can really build to a, a panic attack or something like that. So I think you've got people's expectations going on. That's perhaps why you've got people reporting the same experience over time because they're arriving with those sorts of expectations. A colleague of mine, Jim Haran, did a great study. We took over, I think it was an old cinema, and he took around two groups of people. One, he said, we just look at the architecture of the place. The other, he said, this is a haunted location. And he took them around on the same tour, saying the same things, and those that thought it was haunted reported all sorts of strange experiences, and the others didn't at all. So our expectations are driving uh, these experiences a lot of the time. So do you know how common these sightings are or, or reportings? Do a lot of us report hauntings? Well, there's a difference between believing in ghosts, which normally hits about 50% of the population. Sorry, the, 50%. 50% within the UK. And then experiencing something like this, which is normally about 25%, 30%. So it's a reasonably common experience. Okay, yeah, that would make sense. So it's, you know, when you're talking to people about this and it's, well, my mum or, well, right. well, my aunt swears that. Yes. Okay. And I think people like the idea of, of, of ghost stories. I think they're, they're, they're rather fun. And yeah, you've, I mean, you've gone with fun, but Amanda has a question um, with her theory on why we find ghost sightings so scary. And she says uh, spooky encounters seem to trigger a fight or flight response, a very old part of our brain trying to keep us safe. Is that why we believe in ghosts with so little hard evidence? Well, there's, there's an argument that what we're doing is particularly when you tell ghost stories to younger people, is you're getting them to experience something which is frightening but in a safe environment. And that them rehearsing fear in this safe environment is kind of good for them in a way. So you have the upsides of fear, which is that you become more vigilant and, and you realise there are scary people and, and parts of the world, but you're not actually in an unsafe place. So that's what you tell yourself when you make small children cry by telling them ghost stories. It's one of the things I tell myself. I mean, it's a bit like roller coasters. Yeah. So the same argument's been made, that with a roller coaster, you're having a screaming and you're experiencing fear, but in an environment that you know that's safe. 
And many years ago, when I used to go to roller coasters, I don't, I don't, don't go on them now, but when I used to go with my friends, I would always uh, hold a little rusty bolt in my hand. And just as you set off, you reach down and go, is this supposed to come out? <laughs> <laughs> As it were, generously enhancing people's yes. experience. Because you think, well, you enjoyed fear. Now you're terrified. <laughs> and that is a different experience to the roller coaster ride they're expecting. One is, is wrapped around with cotton wool, and the other is a genuinely terrifying experience. And, and none of those people have ever spoken to me again. <laughs> and it makes so much sense because the most terrifying roller coaster experience I had wasn't the most extreme roller coaster. It was one where, when I was on it, I noticed that all the the rails underneath us were made of wood and they were everything was a bit shonky and mm, was this the time that it was just going to collapse absolutely I, I stayed in a hotel that backed onto a roller coaster once, uh, and I was looking forward to going on the roller coaster. I used to like them. I don't like them so much now, but I used to like them. And I opened my curtains one morning, and uh, there were men walking along the track, hitting the uh, roller coaster uh, rails to check that they weren't fractured. Yeah. And I thought, I'm not going to go on this thing. Look at these people. They're doing that every morning, and they don't look like they're the most engaged with their work. They look to me like they're just, you know, doing it the same way I would do it in order to get through and, and have a coffee break. So I was absolutely terrified and never went on that so, one. So in, in many ways, you got the benefits of scaring yourself without yes. actually having to bother to go on the roller coaster. Absolutely. Okay. Yes. Um, back to ghosts. Yeah. If you believe in ghosts, are you more likely to see one? Yeah, well, you're, you're far more likely to interpret your strange experience as a ghost experience. It gets back to my night terror, which is that I'm not a believer, so I looked for brain-based, anxiety-based explanations. If I were a believer, I would go, oh, that might be my uncle coming back uh, to haunt me. The experience could be the same, but the interpretation is different, which means the emotions associated with it. And also what you do with it is different. You know, when I go to parties, I don't go, there was this hooded figure at the end of my bed. My goodness, what was I talk about night terrors. So it's it's kind of interesting. But you have an explanation that's related to sleep disorders. And then you've got the explanation that's to do with drafts and uh, low frequency noise. But a lot of times when people see something, they're seeing something like Tim Burgess's parents seeing something approaching a headless horseman, which yeah. is it's just not like something else. It's not like a flash of colour or something well, that I, could be a, yeah, a ghost. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, driving along at night with headlights and so on, you get odd reflections if you've got a, an animal or something like that. I, I, I don't know. I mean, there are these things are they're different experiences. The nighttime ones as, as, as one thing. The kind of haunted house where people have the same experience over time. We heard an account of that earlier on. That's another thing. I should say, with children, if you've got a child who's having a recurring dream, often that involves something ghost-like or very negative or scary, there's a very simple technique. Adults can do it as well, which you've got recurring negative dreams, which is you rehearse the dream during the day. You mentally imagine the dream, reimagine it, but with a happy ending. So if with a kid they're getting chased by a dragon, you might say, oh, it's a lonely dragon and it just wants to be your friend. So they imagine that. And it has a huge effect on the nighttime dream. After about a couple of days of reimagining the ending, the dream becomes far more positive. So it's a really lovely little technique for getting rid of those those scary dreams. I I should have had that years ago for the monster that lived under my bed and was going to grab my ankles if I stood by the bed because I had to get into bed for years by running at it and then jumping at the last bit. 
Right. So when I said earlier on you've never experienced anything paranormal or ghostly, and you said no, because I'm a rational person. Yes. How old were you when the monster was there? 22. <laughs> no, uh, eight. Right. Yeah. Okay. The monster under the bed is quite a common common one. It's a dark dark place and that's you know that's that's where they live because that's where you shouldn't go but my brain made that up as a kid and i feel like kid me and adult me are two very different people are, are children more likely to see ghosts um well they're, they're quite imaginative it depends very much on what they've been told but no I, I i think overall adults report a lot of them as well so it's not something that we grow out of a lot of kids have got invisible friends but that's different. Did you have an invisible friend? No. Did you? No. Oh. It's very common. It's about like 40, 50% of the kids. I had no idea. It's this amazing stat. That's almost as many as people that believe in ghosts. Yeah. No, it's, it's very strange. And then there's a correlation there. That if, if you have invisible friends and, and so on, then you tend to see ghosts. So it's all part of the, the kind of suggestible, hypnotizable kind of mindset. Oh, so does that mean if I don't believe in ghosts mm. and I don't believe in paranormal stuff, then I'm less likely to be hypnotisable. And you're back with us in the room. No. Uh, <laughs> with a half-eaten onion in front of you. Uh, yeah, now all these things, uh, how good your imagination is, how good your visual skills are, how suggestible you are, whether you're a good hypnotic uh, subject, they all congregate together, whether you report ghosts and so on. They're a big cluster. So it's a, a certain type of person versus... Someone like me, who, you know, no imagination, visual skills, uh, doesn't see anything. My life is really quite dull. I'd love to see a ghost. Never seen yeah, one. Yeah, wouldn't that be good? Wouldn't It'd that be good. be good? Yeah. Summing up, I mean, I think you've come up with some really rational explanations why people see ghosts, why people believe in ghosts. So there's the drafts, there's, there's our brains protecting us going through... Uh, keeping us away from cold, drafty places, telling us how to react if we do see scary things. What else is there? Well, I, I think the, the ghost sightings, as you're saying, isn't one thing. That, that, and you have haunted locations where we're talking about some of the environmental factors. You have the sightings at night where we're talking about night terror and sleep paralysis. You have during the day when we're talking about expectation and suggestion effects. But we shouldn't rule out that maybe they exist. Maybe the dead walk among us. Who knows? We should keep an open mind. But before we get to that bit of earth-shattering uh, way of looking at the world, we should perhaps try and rule out some of these rational things. But still, I'm a huge ghost fan. They're such great stories. So two friends of mine, Andy Nyman and Jeremy Dyson, uh, they wrote a wonderful play called Ghost Stories, and that's partly based around my research. Oh, is Professor it? Goodman is a pun on Wiseman. Oh. So I, 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 it goes back a long way. One of the stories in there is something happened to me when I was a, a kid. So I, I love the fact that people are fascinated by this stuff. The Ghost Stories was the one that they made into a BBC thing with Paul Whitehouse. Uh, you were a film, yes. That's right. Yeah. Yes, yeah. I couldn't finish that because it was so terrifying. It's a very scary film. I mean, I'm assuming that it was all fine with his Night Watchman and... Yeah. Eh. I don't want to spoil it for people. Why, as a psychologist, are you so interested in the paranormal? You know, when I started to study psychology, what is fascinating about humans is how amazing they are. You know, they, they, they fall in love, they see weird phenomena, um, they, they can accomplish essentially the impossible. 
And when I started to study psychology academically, what's great about psychologists is that they take that, that buzzing beauty of humanity and reduce it to something that's deeply dull. They're just interested in how many numbers you can remember on a good day or something like that. And so I kind of took it upon myself to do research that I just thought was interesting, that when I mentioned it at parties, people actually asked you questions rather than glazed over and, and walked off. And, and the paranormal is something I've been interested in since I was a kid. When I go back to my parents' house, there's all my books there from being eight-year-old and, and they're all, you know, Loch Ness Monster and UFOs and so on. It's just inherently interesting. And as scientists, we often leave that stuff and kind of go, no, that's fringe and weird and, and, and that's not science. You know what? There's a lot of good science to be done there. And, and it's the sort of thing that really engages people. So that's, that's why I went into it. Is it the stories or is it the effect that it has on people? No, it's the challenge. It's the challenge of saying, these people have experienced something really weird. How do you even begin to do psychology and science with that? How do you, how do you investigate a haunted house? And I'm not the first to do it. You know, my heroes, as you go back to the 30s, turn of the century and so on, they grappled with the same topic and they came up with their solutions to it. And I'm just standing on their shoulders and building on their work. But it's the challenge of going, here's weird stuff. What do you do with that? Um, have you done experiments with Ouija boards and and connecting with the afterlife? Oh, yeah, we've done, we've done endless fake seances. We've done lots of tests of mediums. And I personally have spent a lot of time with Ouija boards and table tipping and all of that. We should talk about that on another episode. From Podimo and Telltale, this has been Richard Wiseman's On Your Mind. Hosted by Professor Richard Wiseman and Marnie Chesterton. Our producer is Kate White. The executive producers for Podimo are Jake Chudno and Matt White. And for Telltale are Rami Sabar and Jago Lee. And if you like this podcast, tell your friends. Leave us a review. If you don't like it, tell your friends you did. Why should you be the only ones to suffer? Although it does help others find us. And don't forget to subscribe. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at WisemanPod where we'll be regularly asking you for questions for future episodes. Thanks. Bye. Bye-bye.